0: Matthew chapter 2, please. Matthew 2, we're going to look at uh, three verses today, starting in verse 3, going to verse 6, 3, four, five. Uh, Technically it's four verses, but the way we look at it, we say it's three verses. Um, last week I read the passage Matthew 12, one, or 2, 1-12, uh, in the King James Version, which is one that we're all very familiar with, I'm sure. Today I'm going to go from the, about the oldest thing you might carry today, to probably the newest one if you have it, the Legacy Standard Bible, and I'm going to read the same passage. Matthew 1, or 2, 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he was inquiring of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, For this is what has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, Land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi, and carefully determined from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. Now after hearing the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east was going on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi departed for their own country by another way. Heavenly Father, thank you again for recording this for us. So that we can glean from it today, we pray that uh, the things that we learn will be challenging to our hearts and cause us to come and worship too. Uh, Thank you for this time that we could spend in your word. What a privilege that is. We give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you tried in the past to read through the Bible in a year? We put that as one of our uh, ambitions with our Wednesday night group that meets here at the church, that we're going to try as a group to encourage each other to read through it. We're doing okay. It's December, isn't it? It's, for some of us, it, it's getting close. But uh, we've done pretty good with that. Um, maybe you would say, you know, you succeeded, or maybe you said, well, no, mine's now a two-year program or a three-year program, and that's good. We, we like that too. Uh, some people have really never quite tried it. And now you're thinking, well, January's just a few weeks away. Maybe this, will be the, this next year will be the year you give it a shot. When I was in Bible college... We had a whole semester to read half of the Old Testament, another semester to read the other half of the Old Testament, and then a third semester to read all the way through the New Testament. Some of us paced that out pretty well, and we were able to complete it quite smoothly. Others decided to read the assignment in a single night. And that was always the night before it was due. They, I, I remember watching them. I was one of those first kind of people. I didn't like to miss my sleep. But I would watch them getting set up for the night. And they'd get all their props around them and everything they needed to stay awake. They had coffee all over the place, pizzas and who knows what else they brought in. Um, all the food was there. They'd settle in their chair. And while the rest of us went to sleep that night, they sat there, starting in Genesis, and then Exodus, and on and on and on. When we found them in the morning, they were a wreck. The eyes, you've never seen eyes like this before, unless you've rarely seen one of these people. I mean, they don't blink anymore. <laughs> they're just wide open, and they're all red, and it's a real mess. It just happened to be the first day of finals week, too, which was a bad way to start the week. But you have to wonder, to fulfill an assignment, is there anything in that that actually hit them in the heart? They were reading God's Word, right? And when we step back and look at that, say, well, you know what, it's kind of true, isn't it? Even we who set our ambition on reading through the Bible in a year, there are days when we're reading and we say, well, we got that done, but if you'd asked us, what did you just read? We're like, um, well, it said something about, uh, and usually your eyes can follow the words. They're mechanical in nature. But there's a disconnect between this and this. You've ever been there before? Well, you're trying to read and and you're just like, uh, you know, I'm trying to read, but, oh, yeah, I got to get gas in the car before I go to work. Or, I hear the children are about to get up. I better hurry this along. Uh, we get distracted and the reason I set that before you is because you're not alone in that. All of us have known that pretty well. But also, when we come to this passage, this is what I noticed. There are some people in this passage who knew the Word but didn't know the Lord. And there are some people in this passage who didn't have the Word. But they wanted to know the Lord. And I find it interesting when you see those two set up in front of us that I would hope that we are ones who both know the Word and know the Lord. Last week we saw that the Magi came, or wise men if you prefer, uh, came with a definite purpose. We have come to worship Him, they said. Today we're going to look at a direct prophecy in verse 3 through 6. And it answers the question that they left us with last week. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? That was their question. And it says in verse 3, And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, and gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, He was inquiring of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, For this is what has been written by the prophets. And you, a prophet, singular, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, Are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, For out of you shall come forth a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Up to this point, the wise men followed a star. We cannot say for certain uh, how this star became important enough to them to make them pack it up all their belongings and journey behind a star not knowing where it would lead them. They had no clue where they were going, except they were following a star. In that sense, you know, they're very much like Abraham. Remember Abraham's story? The very first time we're introduced to him in Genesis chapter 12. It says in the very first verse there, I don't know what Abraham was up to that day. He was walking along and suddenly the Lord spoke to him. And the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. And so you shall be a blessing. I will curse... uh, Something wrong here. Okay, verse 4. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. So this is an interesting concept. And somewhere my printer messed up the middle of that. And that doesn't look right. But the first verse is God said go forth. And fourth verse, Abraham went forth. He didn't have a map. (laughs) He didn't know where he was going. What we call that is faith, don't we? Matter of fact, that's what the writer of the book of Hebrews called it too. By faith Abraham, Hebrews 11 verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. We stand amazed at that. These wise men were doing the same thing. They were following a star not knowing where, where they were going. Now, I don't want to attribute anything to the wise men that the Lord didn't say, but this I do know. God is the one who makes stars. He didn't need to wait for a comet to come by and say, oh, perfect timing for that. He didn't rely on a star. He didn't have to. That was already in existence. God knows how to make them. Matter of fact, he could even steer them, however he would like them to go. When I see that he used a star, it's fascinating to me to see the wisdom in all this, because the men he got, captured their attention, apparently, were star studiers. Some call them astrologers. Maybe they did have a link to the prophecy of Daniel. Maybe they did have a link to the prophecy of Balaam. But whatever it was, their interest was peaked when they saw the star. And they knew that someone important was born. Where did they come to that conclusion? And that the star would lead them to where he was. Where would they get that idea? This is what fascinates me about these people. Because the text doesn't tell us all these things. All it says is that they came into the city and said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Don't be too surprised if the Lord works this way. In the Old Testament, he used the cloud, didn't he? It was a pillar of cloud that that led Israel through the wilderness. Some days it would stay put, and they said, Okay, we're going to stay put. Then the day that it lifted up, they said, oh, time to go. They'd pack up everything and they'd follow a cloud through the day. And by the way, at night, it turned into a pillar of fire. And they were able to follow the fire. Even walking through the night, they were able to do that. Following doesn't mean that God has to give you all the directions. He just says, trust me, follow me. He doesn't give us a GPS or some sort of bearing to find our way. He expects us just to follow. Just to follow. We walk by what? Faith and not by sight. Here the wise men are following a star. They didn't know how far it would take them. They did not know where it would stop. I wonder, as they were passing through the land of Israel, if that star had kept going across the land and across the Mediterranean Sea, would they have traded their camels for boats? I think they probably would have done something to follow that star. I can only imagine. I use my imagination sometimes. I don't know if that's useful or not. One of them's going along and his cell phone rings. All right, And it's his wife. Hey, are you there yet? No. No, we're not there yet. We're still going. Where are you going? I don't know. But he keeps moving. So off they go. Off they go. Can you imagine this? You know what's interesting about this? How long have they been doing this? How long have they been following this star? Do you think they ever stopped and wondered... What are we doing? That's a long journey. We understand it to have covered a lot of miles, but we also probably can insert the fact it covered a lot of time. Possibly up to two years. We're not positive on some of those facts, but at least what they told Herod made him think, we better do this for two years, two-year-olds and under, because of the timing that the star first appeared. But I could only imagine them coming along, thinking as they came up on a tent or came up on a little village. Oh, we should stop there. Maybe this is where we've been looking for. And they'd go in and speak to the people who live in the tent or move down to the village and ask the people there, do you know anything about a king being born? No? Oh, the star is still moving. Off they go. Off they go. Maybe they wondered if they would be too late. You ever get that feeling while you're traveling? You're supposed to be someplace at a deadline, and you think, "Oh no, I'm going to be late. I'm going to be late. I'm going to miss it." Wouldn't that been a shame to go two years of a journey, perhaps, and get there and find out, "Oh, they moved. They're not here anymore." That would be a tough thing to wonder about, too. By the way, were they expecting a newborn? It says they came into the house where the child was. Maybe he was even two years old by this time. I have a hunch, though, in the midst of all this journey and possibly all the questions that would come up along their way and how many times they asked, do we know what we're really doing here? I have a hunch that somehow the Lord kept convincing their hearts that we doing it right. Keep going. Keep going. You're on the right journey. It may take you two years to get there, but how many times might they needed to have the reinforcement inside? They saw a star that kept moving. What's interesting about this is I was reading this the other day and thinking through it. The text does not say they only traveled at night. You know something about stars. We can assume that they're out there at night easily enough. That's what we're used to. But where do they go when the sun comes out? Are they still there? Yeah, they're up there. Can you see them? No, the sun overpowers them because the sun is so much more visible. But if God made this star for a purpose, he could easily have made it shine during the day as well as the night. That would be unique, wouldn't it? That would make this journey quite unique. But here comes the best part. I'm just setting you up for some thoughts as we go through this. How exciting it is, and it was for them certainly, and how encouraging it must have been to their faith to find out that what they were doing was confirmed in Scripture. This is a little note here from Ryle's Thoughts on his expository thoughts of the Gospel of Matthew, written back in the 1800s. I find it still fascinating. He said, Last but not least, the conduct of the wise men is a striking example of faith. They believed in Christ when they had never seen Him. But that was not all. They believed in Him when the scribes and Pharisees were unbelieving. But again, that was not all. They believed in him when they saw a little infant on Mary's knee and worshipped him as a king. This was the crowning point of their faith. They saw no miracles to convince them. They heard no teaching to persuade them. They beheld no signs of divinity and greatness to all, over all them. They saw nothing but a newborn infant, helpless and weak, and needing a mother's care like any one of ourselves. And yet, when they saw the infant, they believed that they saw the divine Savior of the world and they fell down and worshipped him. We don't have all the information uh, to know if the wise men had the scripture to study. Some people say they learned all this from Daniel. And it's possible since Daniel's prophecies were given in the regions of Babylon and Persia. It's very likely there was a Copy there in the local library, huh? It's possible they might have heard Balaam's prophecy. I referred to that earlier. Balaam, that's all the way back to the book of Numbers, by the way. That goes back a long ways. Balaam lived in the vicinity of the Euphrates River, by the way. Which also, like Babylon, it was in that territory. Um, It says in Numbers 22, I'll just read you a couple of verses here that they sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Baor, at Pethor, which is near the river. That's the Euphrates River. In the land of the sons of his people. And by the way, he didn't do a very good job as far as the king of Moab was concerned. Uh, every time he was supposed to curse the people, he ended up blessing them. And that didn't work too well. Uh, and so he was dismissed by the king of Moab. And in the book of Numbers, chapter 25, it said it went home. And so we assume he went back toward the river territory. If that was true, he would have taken those prophecies with him. And those prophecies talk about a star and a scepter and a king coming forth in that way. Possibly that's where they got it. But what's interesting, too, is the next time we find him, he's, in Numbers 31, he's living among the Midianites. And they were a nomadic group that just kind of wandered all over the place. And Israel attacked them in Numbers 31. And in verse number 8, it said that uh, they not only killed the five kings of Midian, but they also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, in that battle too. So did Balaam's word get out to where a wise men could have found it? Did they have the prophecies of Daniel? We do not know. That's the reality. We do not know. But the wise men, according to the way Spurgeon wrote this, the wise men were not content with having seen his star. They must see himself. And seeing, they must adore. They said, we have come to worship him. What difference would it make, traveling all that way, to have finally heard Scripture say something about it. The authentication of that whole mission they were on, they heard it that day when they entered into, of all places, the palace of Jerusalem. If you just go back to a small history, it doesn't take much. But I doubt that the scriptures were read often in that palace. (laughs) That was a very wicked king. And the leaders, the chief priests and the scribes, were not prone to uh, good things either. It was a very worldly day. It was a very uh, unspiritual setting. And so it says in Matthew 2, verse 4, that they gathered together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, He was inquiring of them where Christ was to be born. And they answered him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means, least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Again, my understanding of the sovereignty of our God leads me to believe that this answer that they gave so quickly the chief priests and the scribes had for Herod, it didn't come simply because they had intelligence in that nature. Why do I say that? I'll tell you why. For all that we can say about the knowledge of these prophets, or these priests, or these scribes that we read of, how many times did Jesus correct them during his ministry about their understanding of his word? It went on and on. It was a battle with the scribes and the chief priests about God's word and whether or not they followed it. And the conclusion almost every single time was, they didn't. They didn't. Generally, these priests that we read about would have been experts in the Torah. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They would have been excellent experts in that territory. But when you put the scribes in with them, here's an interesting group. The scribes originally were commissioned to make copies of the Scripture. They didn't have a printing press, a Xerox machine. They couldn't just push a button on their laptop and it comes out the printer down you know, the way. They had to write it out. Oh, you who have finished reading the Scripture this year, try a new one. Write it out next year. No? Okay. Just an idea. That's what the scribe was called to do. He was told to write it. Write it, write it, write it. They were commissioned to do that. But several of the kings employed them for that purpose, and then they started to lean on them a little bit and said, well, if you're writing it, you must know it, so interpret something for us. Interpret this, interpret that, interpret this. And they were expected to interpret the law. And the more important they felt, the more they elevated themselves in society. These were just workers who wrote, and now they are leaders among the people. They are the experts that you call when you have a question about God's Word. And it appeared later that many of the scribes were of the order of the Sadducees. And you say, what's that mean? Well, that means this, that they knew what was in Scripture, but they didn't believe it. The Sadducees did not believe in miracles. They did not believe in resurrections. Uh, They did not believe in an afterlife. So Herod calls to these kind of people who have had knowledge, but nothing in here. And he says, what do you know about a king? What do you know? What's the record? And they would say, well, the record speaks of Micah 5 too. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means... And immediately they start to give it out. But you know what's interesting? And you know this. They didn't pay it any mind. These, the leading religious leaders of the day, who knew or were known as men of Scripture, could tell you what it says, but they didn't believe it. Do you know why I think that? Because if they had believed it, they would have wanted to see the fulfillment of that prophecy. And it was only six miles away. Folks, you drive further down to the gas station. It was that close to them. And you don't see them rushing off to see what Micah had promised them. Now, I'm not going to complain about them this morning. As a pastor, I wonder how many times we see things in the Bible and act as though it wasn't important at all. We still have chief priests and scribes among us who point to Scripture, but it doesn't alter their day one bit. Here's what I especially like, though, about the passage that Matthew records for us. How wonderful it must have been for the wise men to have their journey confirmed by God's Word whatever it was that prompted them to believe that God wanted them to travel and find this king, now they heard it directly from God himself. Bethlehem. Bethlehem? That's the location. Bethlehem. That's just a short distance from here. Bethlehem. Notice they didn't say, where in Bethlehem. All they were told it was in Bethlehem. They weren't given an address. They weren't told to look for the house with the green shutters. They didn't seek a manger. They didn't go and find a shepherd to say, hey, show us where that stable is again. Instead, they were led to a small town, and apparently some think it was the smallest of the territory of Judah by the comments here. But I could just imagine, as they heard that in the Jerusalem palace, they weren't thinking anymore about that king that was talking to them, secretly inquiring of them and all this kind of stuff. They were probably saying, Hey, we just found out it's Bethlehem. Let's get moving. Let's get down. We're finally here. We know where to go. And they went out the door in a new direction. They marched off to Bethlehem. Now, here's the interesting differences that this passage points out. Men who didn't have directions other than follow the star were encouraged by the scripture that told them to answer the answer to their journey. Men who had the scriptures, and this passage was over 700 years old, by the way, had no desire to follow its instructions. Men who was supposed to be seeking the Messiah didn't go and look for him when, he was, when it was told he was born. Other men to whom the Messiah's prophecies have no weight whatsoever... We're the ones seeking him. Look at the text very carefully. I want you to see something. We're so familiar with it. Sometimes the words just pop out funny. Matthew 2, 2. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? Herod's question to the scribes and Pharisees. He inquired of them in verse 4 where the Messiah was to be born. What did they just put together? This child is not only the king, this child is the Messiah. The one we've been looking for for a very, very long time. And when the chief priests and scribes answered him, it was in response to the Messiah that they gave the response. They said, he would be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah was the highest expectation of the Jewish people. It was the expectation and the hopes of every woman to bear a child that it would be the Messiah. They had dreamed and thought and prayed and looked for the Messiah years and years and years. And Scripture told them where he would be found. And they didn't go. Does that stun you? They didn't go. Was it too far of a journey? Six miles? Was it too inconvenient for them? Oh, we, we've got a party. we got a Christmas party tonight. Of course, they wouldn't have had a Christmas party, would they? Again, J.C. Ryo makes these words, and this is where it starts to touch the heart. You ready? These verses teach us, it's not always those who have the most religious privileges who give Christ most honor. We might have thought that the scribes and Pharisees would have been the first to hasten to Bethlehem and on the lightest rumor that the Savior was born. But it was not so. A few unknown strangers from a distant land were the first, except the shepherds mentioned by Luke, to rejoice at his birth. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. What a mournful picture this is of human nature. How often the same kind of thing may be seen among ourselves. How often the very people who live nearest to the means of grace are those who neglect them most. This is why I start to say, I've got to check my heart. I have God's word, don't you? I hear? You carry one of these with you? God's word. The wise men are given direct prophecy. Direct prophecy. What they were given was a fraction, a small fraction of what you carry in your hand right now. And it was enough for them to say, let's go and worship. And I wonder how much of this does it need for us to read and read and read and read before it penetrates from here to here. I'm not just talking to people out there. I talk to myself too. Because those who know it so much are so liable to ignore it. To, to read it and say, oh yeah, I've seen that before. No big deal. And go on our way as if it had no impact whatsoever. That's why I love when we come to the Christmas season to take all the December services and turn them into studies. On the message. You know why I like to do that? Because I love Christmas, right? I would do that with January too if you'd let me. But here's the thing. I want to give it as much time as possible. I want to soak in this passage. I I want to, to read it over and over and over. And get my hands and my heart into it. I want to think about these things. I want to put myself in their sandals and think through what it was for them and what it is for us, the privileges we have for knowing this truth. And yet, how easy it is to go through the entire month and not think about it. To not even meditate on it and certainly not to take the time to worship. The wise men were given direct prophecies, and here we have it, right in our own hands. You know what wisdom says? Wisdom says, read it. And wisdom says, believe it. And then there's one more thing. Live it. Live it. That's what faith looks like. These men set an example for us. What else do we know about them? Not much. We're going to get to the rest of the story before we're done. But eventually they go another way at the end of the story. And that's all we know other than the testimony they set before us today. These men set in testimony of those who were willing to follow God, not knowing where he was leading. They were reinforced by his word and how wonderful that must have been. And then they followed through. And they went. They went to see this child. In contrast, obviously, to those who'd heard it for years and years and years and never left the palace room. Never walked down the street. Never went to see their Messiah. What kind of people are we? Just ask that question to yourself in your own heart. What kind of people are we when it comes to what God tells us? Do we read it? Do we believe it? Do we live it? I'll let you answer that. Let's talk to the Lord about it. Heavenly Father, we bow before you today in wonder, in in awe, as we study and learn a little bit more about these men and what they were willing to do to find the answer to that star that led them. They believed it, that that was a sign to them that someone was born who was king of the Jews and they wanted to see him and they wanted to worship him. That's an incredible kind of faith to really see and it really does show a contrast to those who live without that faith. Lord Obviously, when we come before you today, we ask that you would increase our faith. We have heard the Christmas story. We believe it. And yet, it's so easy to dismiss in a busy world like ours. It's easy to bypass some of these things and not think about them, not, not come to the place of worshiping you for how great you are and what you have done. I pray that this year would be different as we have time yet before the actual day on our calendar that we celebrate the birth of Christ, draw our hearts to your word. And may our hearts come willing to read and to hear and to learn and to believe and to live. Do your work in our midst, Lord. And drive us on to be wise men and women. When it comes to your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.